I want to speak to you this morning, obviously, about the resurrection. But the fact that because Christ is risen, we can live unafraid. And I want to take my initial reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28 and verse 1 to 4. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The gods were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Then the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Do not be afraid for I know who you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. It's amazing that the first words spoken to those disciples on the Easter morning, the resurrection morning, were the words, do not be afraid. It was the angels who spoke to the woman. Later, a Jesus appeared to them as they were going to prepare his body for burial. And according to Matthew 28 and verse 10, again, he says to them, do not be afraid. The disciples later who are locked in the upper room and are terrified, they feel hunted, they feel like victims. They feel while Jesus has been crucified, we next in line. The authorities are after us. Our world is collapsing around us. And John records that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, stepped into the upper room, John 20 and verse 19. And it says on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. He's speaking to their anxiety. He's speaking to their fear. Peace be with you. The most common command from the heart of God to humanity throughout the whole Bible is do not be afraid. It occurs over 365 times. Somebody said one for each day of the week. Do not be afraid. The reality is that fear and anxiety and shame that accompanies it is one of humanity's most common conditions, emotions, responses to the events of life. In fact, Adam's first words to God after sin entered the world, the fall had taken place. When God said, where are you? Adam responded and said, I was afraid 
Because I was naked. He's talking about shame there. So I hid. I was afraid. Are the first words that a human being spoke to God after sin had entered into the world and the relationship with God had been fractured and shattered. I am afraid. To a lesser or to a greater extent, we make decisions every day that are influenced either in a little way or a big way sometimes by fear and anxiety. Often we can overcome it and make the decision and, and do it well, but there's still that thing, is this right, is this wrong, should I, shouldn't I, what's the risk, all that kind of thing. And there's aspects of fear that are good. If there's a truck heading towards you, you ought to be afraid and get out of the way. Or a lion charging you. Not sure where that would take place in Australia, but nevertheless, you, you get the point. Fear is something that God has given us to get us away from danger. But because of our brokenness, because of sin, fear and anxiety often consumes a lot of our emotional energy. And for some instances, can even paralyse people in doing life well. We fear that we'll lose control. We fear rejection. We fear loneliness. We have a fear of being inadequate in certain situations or perhaps with some people. And we use words like anxious, worried, troubled, concerned, or I'm just being cautious. But they all expressions of fear to a lesser or greater degree. Paul in the book of Romans addresses so many wonderful things about the power of the work of Jesus on the cross and then in the resurrection. Says this about the resurrection, Romans 8.15. This resurrection life you've received from God is not a fearful life. Can I just repeat that again? This resurrection life you've received from God is not a fearful life. It is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what next, Abba, Daddy? It's a different response. The resurrected Spirit of Christ within us, when you say yes to Jesus, His Spirit makes you alive to God and dwells within you. And that Spirit is not a spirit of fear. It's a resurrection life attached to it. And it doesn't make us fearful about life. It helps us overcome the fears, the anxieties. Talking about the wrong kinds of fears that touch and tear at our lives at times. Somebody said fear is false evidence appearing real. Now, again, I'm not talking about real fear when you ought to be afraid and respond and react to something. I'm talking about the anxieties, the concerns, the thing that keep us awake at night, the churn in our stomach, as it were. That the enemy loves to present things as facts that just aren't. Or that you are powerless rather than you trusting in the power of the resurrected Christ. Fear, in that sense, is based on ignorance often. It's the fear of the unknown, what if? What if I can't? What if they? All that kind of stuff. And the question that in a way I want to answer is how does the resurrection life of Jesus help us to live fearlessly? 
I'm not promising that you'll never be touched by it, but rather that when you are, you can come back and say, He is risen. And because He's risen, I can overcome this anxiety. I can overcome this fear. I can respond to the circumstance. Because Jesus said, if you know the truth and you hold to my teaching and you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so when that fear of false evidence appearing real comes to us, we can respond with the truth of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection is powerful and applicable to our lives every single day. Number one, because we know that Jesus tells us the truth. He predicted his suffering, his crucifixion and his resurrection and he did it. He told the truth. You see, if he had sprouted those things while he was on the planet walking around but was not risen then we could say well he had some good things to say but actually what he said didn't come true the resurrection testifies that everything Jesus said about life eternal life about reconciliation to God about what he is going to accomplish is true because he's risen Luke 9 22 the son of man must suffer many things be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He wasn't just resuscitated, he was resurrected. And if you're struggling with that question, there's a whole lot of resource that we can help with you, point to, you can look up for yourself. The evidence that Christ is truly risen. Not just a story, a myth, but the truth. In Romans 1 and verse 4, and I love this declaration of the Apostle Paul, it says he was shown, speaking of Jesus, Jesus was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection demonstrates that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has the power to save, that he told the truth. And that reality anchors things in our lives. Evidence of the resurrection, secondly, also helps us know that God loves us extravagantly. And this is a connection between his suffering and crucifixion and then the power of the resurrection that follows. We know because of the resurrection that God loves us extravagantly and unconditionally. In Romans 5, verse 6 and verse 8, Paul says this, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to highlight three statements, thoughts, just briefly in those verses. 
that, that some people in our society today find offensive. But if you're actually honest with yourself and honest with what's going on within you, you kind of go, yeah, I think that's true. Paul uses incredibly strong words to describe those who God loves. He doesn't say Christ died for the almost perfect. Christ died for those who just needed a little top up. So when they got to heaven, the balance between the good they'd done and the bad would just tip them over the edge to good. He doesn't say that. He says, no, Christ died. Please don't be offended. Christ died when we were powerless. Christ died because we were ungodly. And Christ died because we are sinners. And our whole society spends so much time explaining how powerful we are, explaining that really ungodliness is just a different way of looking at life and, and really we're not sinners, that's just something imposed on us by our societies. But I think in our heart of hearts, we know how broken we are. We know. And Christ died not for the almost perfect or for the religious he died for the worst of us. And I speak now across history, including us, including myself. Powerless, ungodly sinners. A.W. Tozer said salvation was bought, brought, sorry, not by Jesus first, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. Jesus Christ, our Lord, surrendered in order that he might win. And he destroyed his enemies by dying for them. Because when we accept the death of Jesus that it was for us, we're no longer an enemy with God. So the destruction of his enemies is not shattering them, bloody vengeance. It's extraordinary sacrificial love. And Paul picks up on this in the book of Ephesians, that because Christ is risen, we can actually know and encounter the love of God. He's kind of saying, if he's not risen, all the nice things that he said about God loving us and all the rest, of, oh, they're great, they're comforting. But the reality of how much God loves us, yes, it's in the suffering, in the sacrifice, in the crucifixion, but it becomes real because now we have a living Saviour who loves us. And he says this, he prays a prayer for us in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. May you have the power to understand, and that word understand is to understand, but to understand by experience. May you have the power to understand, to experience, all, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Somebody observed that while we live in a three-dimensional world, God's love is four-dimensional. It goes everywhere. It goes everywhere. God's love for you is long, 
and wide and deep and high. And just speaking on the one thought, how long is God's love for you? Well, it's long enough to last forever. It's long enough to outlast your brokenness and your sinfulness, my brokenness, my sin, our brokenness. And it's long enough. Many of you may have heard of Corrie Tim Boone and maybe not be aware, she had a sister, Betsy, who also ended up in Ravensbrook concentration camp. And while Corrie miraculously survived, became an incredible preacher, forgave prison guards, an amazing story worth looking it up. In a book called The Hiding Place, if I recall. But Betsy died, became ill and died in the concentration camp. And she kept telling Corrie, in this hellhole, don't forget to tell people that God's love can reach even in here. Her exact quote was written in a diary and something that Corrie Ten Boone repeated regularly. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I have a few favourite hymns. One of them is entitled The Love of God. Fear not, I will not sing. The background story is quite an amazing to it. And they think originally it was penned by a Jewish believer in about 1000 AD and then rediscovered and put to Christian words. And the author who added extra stanzas to it and wrote the music, his name's up there, Frederick M. Liam, uh, found the words scribbled on the wall of an insane asylum. And this person in moments of sanity remembered the love of God, even in this terrible condition they were in. And the key passage or verse, could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The resurrection guarantees, assures us how high, how wide and how long and how deep God's love for you and I is. And the resurrected Christ says, I want you to experience it. I want you to know it. The third thing is because of the resurrection, we know that God has plan and purpose for us. First Peter 1 verse 3 to 4, Peter says, what a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him. This father of our master, Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and everything to live for including a future in heaven, a future that starts now. Isn't that a powerful declaration? We have this extraordinary life because Christ is risen. And the encouragement, whether you know Jesus or maybe you're just visiting, perhaps even got dragged along by family. 
for you to just consider this thought, whether you'd begin to open up your life more or maybe for the first time to the love of God. Open up your life to the glorious resurrected Christ and His power and authority where your past can be forgiven and God gives you a fresh purpose for living and an assurance of eternal life. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, and this is Eugene Peterson's take on the verse, he says, Jesus included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A far better life than people have, would ever live on their own. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. A far better life. And it's this extraordinary thing that because Jesus is the creator and he's worth more than the whole of creation and he engulfs or embraces all of creation. When he died, we died in him. And when we accept him as our Lord, our Saviour, we are raised to newness of life and we are made alive to God. That's the power of the resurrection. And it's not just for eternity, it's for our everyday life. And the final thing is the resurrection is important to us because we know that death is not final. It's not the end. I know there are people here that in this recent season have lost somebody, have stood at the grave, have wept, have been broken hearted. But our hope as followers of Jesus, is it's not the end. And while it's all right, in fact, it's good that you go through the emotions and the sense of loss and those moments that almost take your breath away. There's, it's not that we should push those to aside, but the fact that He is risen means death is defeated. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul declares that on the cross, Jesus defeated all the forces of evil and they were empowered with death and Hades or death and hell is one way of translating it. And the fact that Jesus is risen means he defeated death. He defeated sin and he defeated Hades or hell. In Revelation, he introduces himself to John, the beloved apostle, who when he sees Jesus, the resurrected, glorified Christ, falls down as one dead at his feet. And Jesus says to him, do not be afraid. That's the kind of overriding theme. Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. Now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He overcome evil. And so conclude in reading these words out of 1 Corinthians 15, known as the resurrection chapter 
of the Bible where Paul speaks so much to the resurrection of Jesus. But amongst those words is this anthem, is this declaration. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because He's risen, He's risen indeed. Within our online campus, here in the auditorium, up there in the overflow in the cafeteria, I wanna ask you, have you received that resurrection life? And it begins by acknowledging, yeah, in reality, no matter how much I tell myself and self-improve and all the rest of it, when it comes to the big things of life and eternity, I'm powerless, I'm ungodly and I'm a sinner. I'm broken, I need help. And I'm inviting Jesus to help me to accept that in His death, the full payment of sin was made. But in His resurrection, the gift of eternal life is given to me simply by faith, simply by receiving it.